Welcome to the Vespasian Warner Library District podcast. The railroad was by far the most popular and convenient means of transporting people and goods in the late 1800s and early 1900s. At a time when wagons and horseback were the common modes of transportation, traveling 35 miles per hour on a steam-driven train seemed a marvel. However, those trips weren't without their dangers. For example, in May of 1893, as engineer Al Robinson was pulling his train into Clinton, Illinois, he crashed into the tender of a switch engine driven by Frank Gallagher, which hadn't quite cleared the track. Robinson didn't see the danger in time to stop his engine, though Gallagher and his firemen were able to jump from theirs before the collision, which resulted in two engines, three men, and a couple of cars twisted out of shape, according to one newspaper report. Thankfully, Robinson, his baggage master, and express messenger survived the crash with non-life-threatening injuries, though every man was shaken up by the experience. Unfortunately, not all those involved in such railroad incidents would be so lucky. A Clinton engineer who stuck to his post lost his life in a collision at Guthrie, a small station near Gilman in McLean County, in January of 1892. Freight engineer William Argo was going to Gilman with a heavy train. His train only carried passengers between Clinton and Farmer City. After that, it was to deliver stock to Chicago for early market. The 29-year-old was a cautious engineer, but unfortunately, it would not be enough to save him that day. The heavy fog that day had greatly reduced visibility. Another way freight running four or five hours behind had stopped at Guthrie between 10 and 11 that evening to let off a passenger. The conductor had given the signal to pull out, but the engineer was oiling machinery and missed it. It sat on the main line as Argo's train approached. The fog obscured the lights of the stationary caboose, and, for unknown reasons, the other trainmen failed to flag Argo's train. Argo didn't see the other train until it was too late. He reversed the engine and was poised to jump with his fireman, J.W. Gallagher, when he turned back, perhaps to see if there was anything else that could be done to avoid tragedy. Gallagher jumped landed in a snowdrift, and was unharmed. William Argo was on board when his train crashed into the caboose of the stationary train. All of the passengers on the caboose, save one, jumped for their lives just before impact and were spared. A woman by the name of Alice Smith from Missouri, who for reasons unknown remained on the caboose, was killed instantly. Suffering from cuts, a broken arm, and internal injuries, William Argo was placed on the Diamond Special, which was due back to Clinton at 2 a.m., At 1.30 a.m., somewhere between Bellflower and Farmer City, he succumbed to his injuries. A coroner's inquest ultimately concluded that heavy fog was to blame for the fatal accident. The addition of five or six coach cars of state militia who just broke in camp in 1896 contributed to the lateness of the eastbound train out of Springfield, and the extra cars made it impossible to make up time. As a result, conductor Scott Castle and engineer Larry O'Brien were given orders to pass the westbound train at Birkbeck, the first stop east of Clinton, rather than at Parnell, the last stop before Farmer's City. However, those orders were lost in the shuffle when engineer Walter Evans took over at Clinton. After a brief stop at Birkbeck, the train pulled out, unaware that the westbound train was leaving DeWitt at the same time. There was no station between Birkbeck and DeWitt. The two trains were on a collision course and there was nothing anyone could do to stop it. 
As the trains approached a blind curve at 30 miles an hour or more, the westbound train blew its whistle at a wagon crossing, alerting the eastbound train of its approach. It gave engineer Walter Evans and his fireman, Sherman Smartwood, enough warning to allow Evans to throw the engine in reverse before the two men jumped from the train. The engineer of the westbound train, Charles Birchnaw, had no warning. By luck, his fireman, Ollie Mickaboy, spotted the smoke from the oncoming train and managed to jump just before the inevitable. The sound of the collision was heard for miles, and bystanders rushed to aid the wounded. Four doctors rushed to the scene, and several of the uninjured train passengers assisted with the efforts. The engineer of the westbound train, Charles Birchnall, was killed instantly. His mail agent, William Baker, died later that afternoon, his body taken home to Springfield on the evening train. In a cruel twist of fate, this was supposed to have been his final run. And the express messenger, N.W. Davis, died a few days later from his injuries. Engineer Walter Evans, Fireman Sherman Smartwood, and Fireman Ollie McAboy were all hurt from jumping from their trains. Conductor Ed Peckins and baggage man Jack Lovell were both badly cut and bruised. Express messenger J.T. Naylor had a broken rib. Baggage man Thomas C. Duke had shoulder and hip injuries. A few of the passengers also sustained cuts and bruises. Neither of the brakemen nor conductor Scott Castle were injured. As a result of the collision, conductor Peckins sent in his resignation the next day. The engines of both trains were completely wrecked, the baggage and mail cars adding to the hunk of twisted metal that droves of people came to see over the weekend. The cost of the damage was over $20,000 as everything was considered a loss. Pictures of the wreck were sold as curious souvenirs at a local photo parlor. One newspaper bragged about being the only paper to carry views of the wreck as it offered up additional copies for a fee. A coroner's jury determined that it was the carelessness of conductor Scott Castle and engineer Walter Evans that contributed to the deaths of their fellow trainmen. In an odd aside, one of the wrecked engines, engine 1309, had hit a broken switch and derailed less than a year before. The engineer at the time, Adam Shell, was injured and unable to work for some time. Shell had replaced the usual engineer, William Kelly, before that fateful trip. William Kelly would have also been on this collision course, except he was given a different run just two days before, with Charles Birchnall replacing him. Meanwhile, Adam Shell would have taken the other train out of Clinton, but couldn't due to illness, leaving Walter Evans to take his place. On a Tuesday evening in early October 1909, the State Fair Special was making its run east, taking fairgoers home. It stopped in Clinton at 9 p.m. before making its stops in Birkbeck, DeWitt, Fullerton, and Parnell. It was at Parnell that the conductor made a fateful decision. The State Fair Special was supposed to sidetrack at Parnell and wait for the regular westbound passenger train to pass. However, the conductor either misread his watch or his watch was wrong because he decided that they had time to get to Farmer City before the regular left. He was wrong. As the Special left Parnell, the regular left from Farmer City. The lights from each oncoming train alerted the other, but there wasn't much that could be done. The engineers reversed the engines before leaping from their trains with their firemen. The two trains collided. Two cars of the State Fair Special telescoped, killing one woman, 27-year-old Callie Watson. Given the damage to the cars, it was considered a wonder that she was the only fatality. 
Other injuries on the State Fair Special included cuts, bruises, broken legs, broken ribs, and ligament damage. Those on the regular fared a bit better with mostly cuts and bruises, a broken arm, and a concussion. Both engineers who jumped broke their legs. The firemen were bruised, but otherwise okay. Farmers who'd heard the crash hurried to the scene, the uninjured passengers helping to extract the wounded from the mangled cars and give them aid. Locals rushed to the tracks with their automobiles in order to illuminate the rescue efforts with their headlamps. Doctors from former city arrived and even more medical help came in on a special train from Clinton, followed by a wrecker to clear out the tracks. A fire started three times in the wrecked cars but was quickly extinguished each time by the passengers. Some of the injured were taken to the Illinois Central Depot in Farmer City, while the more serious cases were taken to the commercial hotel there. As with the 1896 collision, it was said that hundreds of people turned out that night and the next day to survey the wrecked trains, and marvel how more people didn't perish. Boarding or riding the train could involve unexpected peril for passengers, occasionally with fatal results. Yes, collisions could and did happen, but there were other individual dangers too. For example, one man found out the perils of boarding a moving train in December of 1890. 20-year-old Frank Martin arrived in Clinton from Mononk in November. His intention was to join his fiancée, a Miss Ramsey, whom he'd grown up with, and her family, and hopefully get a job with the railroad, something his family was against. While the Ramseys were quite welcoming, the railroad wasn't, and Martin failed to secure a job. That December morning, Martin went to the depot to mail a letter. At the 10 o'clock hour, several passenger trains were connecting at the depot, as well as merchants waiting to retrieve merchandise from freight cars. The depot was hectic. For some reason, Frank Martin stepped on the front steps of the rear coach of the CNH train east that ran in from the west switches as it approached the platform, unaware that on the other side of the crossing, a freight crew was attempting to couple a few cars and failed to attach the rear car. The momentum sent the coal car sailing down the track and into Frank Martin before he could step onto the coach car. He never saw it coming. He was carried into the depot where he died moments later, his back broken and the back of his skull crushed. His body was carried to his fiancée's home before it was sent back to his family in Menonk on the four o'clock train. Almost 20 years later, the day before the State Fair special collision outside of Parnell, a young man made a fateful decision to ride a load of lumber on a freight train north from Decatur to Bloomington. C.M. Jenkins, a cigar maker, had met his companion, a man by the name of Pope, in Decatur. He told him that he was riding north to Bloomington to work in a cigar factory. Around 8 p.m., while the train was near Clinton, Jenkins' hat blew off. In what was most likely an instinctual decision, Jenkins attempted to grab it and fell off the back of the car, landing on the tracks between the two cars. He was bisected. As the man was not local, his nearest relatives had to be tracked down. His mother was identified from letters that Jenkins was carrying and located in Texas. However, her home was in Nebraska, and the month she was out of communication while traveling home resulted in her son temporarily being buried in Woodlawn Cemetery. Accidents weren't the only thing that happened in conjunction with the railroad. At least once, there was a murder. In July of 1910, the body of James Demery was found along the railroad tracks north of Clinton. It was determined that Demery had several bruises and cuts on his face, 
as well as a hole in his skull behind his left ear, most likely from a heavy bolt or other piece of iron. A short time later, one of Dimery's companions, Frank Morrell, was arrested. Morrell told police that he, Dimery, and Alex Matthews had been drinking beer near the ice plant. Dimery and Matthews quarreled over the money they'd been paid for work they'd done at the icy freight house. As this was an ongoing dispute, Matthews told Dimery that he would settle the matter if they went to a place north of the ice plant called the Jungles. According to Morell, the men went, and the last he heard of Dimery was him saying to Matthews, Don't hit me. Matthews returned alone a short time later and claimed to have killed Dimery. The man left, but Morell didn't report this to the authorities. Instead, he got into a freight car and went to sleep. At the inquest, Morell repeated his story. The Night Watch testified that he'd heard the two men, Dimery and Matthews, arguing as they passed him about 9 o'clock, but saw nothing more of them. The inquest jury found that James Dimery's death was likely caused by being struck by a blunt instrument by a party unknown. They also found that Frank Morell should be held a few days for further investigation. The sheriff's investigation found that Alex Matthews had a history of being combative with people and had once threatened to slash someone with a knife, resulting in him spending a few days in jail. However, the man was never found. As for James Dimery, his family was never located, and he was buried in Clinton. Though the railroad business through Clinton and DeWitt County dwindled over the decades as the 20th century wore on, for a time it was the pinnacle of innovation, commerce, and travel, despite the risks that sometimes led to catastrophic incidents and fatal consequences. Thank you for joining us. For more information about the Vespasian Warner Public Library District, please go to vwarner.org.